Welcome to The Tea Room. I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me. Now, I have an announcement. This is the final podcast of The Tea Room, but don't despair. Yes, we have a new podcast. Basically, we've rebranded, we've got a great new format, and from now on, we'll be called The Medical Republic Podcast. I'm still here. It's the same Medical Republic team producing it, but there are three changes you might notice. Firstly, if you subscribe to The Tea Room via a podcast app, you won't get any more episodes. So maybe jump in now and subscribe to our new production, The Medical Republic Podcast. Secondly, we have a snazzy new format with more guests each episode offering different perspectives and knowledge. Today's episode is a great example of what to look forward to. And finally, we're moving to fortnightly episodes instead of weekly. So if you subscribe to the Medical Republic newsletters, you'll get a podcast email every second Thursday now instead of every week. And the email newsletter will have an image for the Medical Republic podcast instead of our much-loved slurping teacup. The Medical Republic podcast, bringing you the latest clinical research, new hacks for running your clinic, and investigations into stories that really matter to GPs. See you there. I'm Kate Swanell. Today, we're going to be talking about breast density, what it is, what it means for breast cancer risk, and the gap it falls through in Australia's breast cancer screening program. I think there is a gap. I think breast screen was set up some 30 years ago, and it's... took into consideration the risks at that time and it hasn't changed very much over that time and we now know that density is a very high risk. To think that there's a a one-size-fits-all screening with what we know to me isn't sufficient anymore. That was Christy Sullivan, a patient whose cancer was missed for 11 months after her screening mammogram because of her dense breasts. We'll hear more from her later in this podcast. In Australia, if you are a woman aged between 50 and 75, you are invited to have a free mammogram every two years at a state breast screen facility. Of course, anyone can get a screening mammogram done privately at any age if they are prepared and able to pay for it. The Breast Screen Australia screening program started in 1991 for women aged 50 to 69, and then expanded to include women aged 70 to 74 from 2013. It's been incredibly successful, but has remained largely unchanged over the decades. Today, we're going to explore a couple of important ways the program could be improved. First, let's talk to Associate Professor Wendy Ingman from the University of Adelaide. Wendy's research is on breast cancer risk, and breast density is one of her focuses. When we say breast density or dense breasts, what do we mean exactly? So, so breast density is, is, is basically what a breast looks like on a mammogram. Breast density refers to how white or dark the, the breast appears on the mammogram. So low density has more dark areas and less white, and high density has more white and less dark areas. The white areas are predominantly fibroglandular tissue. The breast epithelial cells, which are the cells which will make and secrete milk when a woman is breastfeeding, and also the supporting stromal cells around those epithelial cells. And by contrast, then, the dark areas are areas of of a lot of adipose tissue or fat. 
what does having dense breasts mean for a woman's risk of breast cancer? Breast density is an independent risk factor for breast cancer. So women with high density, either heterogeneously dense or extremely dense breasts, have an increased risk of breast cancer uh, compared to women with low or average density. But it's important to think of this with regards to the other factors which can affect a woman's breast cancer risk, which also affect her breast density. The way I like to think about this is if you have two women who are the same age and have the same body mass index, one has high density and one has low density, the one with high density will have about a double increased risk of breast cancer compared to the one with low density. Is that increased risk because of the risk of missing the diagnosis or is there a mechanism going on about dense breasts that makes cancer more likely? That's a really great question. So we know that breast density does mask a cancer on a mammogram because the dense areas are white, cancer appears as white. You can imagine it's harder to find a breast cancer in a highly dense breast tissue. So we know there are missed cancers because of high breast density. But separately to that, there is also a biological increasing risk in women with high density. My research has been focusing on how the immune system affects breast density and what we've found is that there is chronic low-level inflammation in breast tissue that's highly dense and that this chronic inflammation is actually one of the driving factors which increases a woman's breast cancer risk when she has high density. Our immune systems do an amazing job. You know, we're bombarded constantly with pathogens, viruses. We're protecting our bodies constantly. But that comes at the cost as well that that our bodies can not always do the perfect thing when it comes to how we interact with our environment. Clearly, mammograms are not the best in terms of of finding cancers in a dense breast. That's right. So there is a, a reduced sensitivity for a mammogram to detect a breast cancer when there is high density and particularly with extremely dense breasts. Is the next step then an MRI or an ultrasound? Well, at the moment in Australia, we don't have clear guidance on what that next step is. However, what is emerging is different pathways for management of dense breasts. One of them is with ultrasound, uh, which can detect more cancers in dense breast tissue, and that is being offered by screening programs in other countries. For example, Canada offers... Uh, ultrasounds for women with dense breasts. There is a problem with ultrasound in that it can increase the rate of false positives. The other option is contrast-enhanced MRI. And that's really the one where we've got now some strong evidence. One of the strongest pieces of evidence for supplementary screening in women with dense breasts came from a study called the DENSE trial, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in November of 2019. The researchers assigned 5,000 women aged between 50 and 75 with extremely dense breasts and normal mammography results to either receive supplemental MRI or mammography screening only. The rate was reduced by more than 80% in the group who had MRI. When you consider that mammographic screening, as it stands today, saves eight lives per thousand women screened, an extra 11 is really significant. 
So that's the importance of breast density in terms of cancer risk and the importance of supplemental screening once you know you have dense breasts. The problem is, in most of Australia, women, and often their GPs, are not routinely told that they have dense breasts after their breast screen mammogram. In fact, Western Australia is the only state which does tell women as a matter of routine. Two states, Queensland and South Australia, are currently trialling breast density notification in their respective breast screen programs. Breast Screen Australia has a position statement on breast density, which was last updated in 2020. While the statement acknowledges that the evidence around additional testing for dense breasts is evolving, it says specifically, and I quote, Breast Screen Australia should not routinely record breast density or provide supplemental testing for women with dense breasts, unquote. Let's talk to a couple of women who have been impacted by missed breast density-related cancer diagnoses. We met Christy Sullivan earlier. I, as you can probably hear, am a transplanted North American. In 2018, I had some unusual symptoms. I had mastitis, and I am certainly not breastfeeding. I had my children many years ago and didn't have mastitis when I had them. Well, that's not normal. So I ran out and found a, a breast doctor and found a breast screen clinic, got my breast screen straight away, booked in the appointment with the doctor, ran off to visit my family overseas for a quick trip that I had planned, took care of the mastitis, thankfully. Came back from the trip, got my results from breast screen saying, no cancer detected. I went to the breast doctor and she had a look and she remarked at how kind of lumpy bumpy I was, did an ultrasound in her office, didn't find anything there and off I went. And all year I'd had one-sided back pain, which was really unusual, the side that turned out 11 months later to have cancer. So fast forward, I start a new job, things are, are going well and then I discover that I have a lump. I had a mammogram done that that day that showed nothing. And I, because I had these lumps that you could now feel that were not going away with my period, I had an ultrasound that clearly showed that I had two tumors that were both over two centimeters. I had a biopsy all done on the same day. A couple of days later, discovered that I had breast cancer and found out that I had triple negative breast cancer. Christy wasn't told she had extremely dense breasts until she was diagnosed. It was, in fact, her only major risk factor for breast cancer. After four months of chemotherapy and two surgeries, Christy is doing well, thankfully. I am tremendously grateful to have had breast cancer here in Australia. The treatment that I got, I felt, was world-class, top-notch delivered by really caring people. I am tremendously grateful that breast screen exists and that it's accessible for everyone. I think there is a gap. I think breast screen was set up some 30 years ago and it took into consideration the risks at that time. It hasn't changed very much over that time. To think that there's a one-size-fits-all screening with what we know, to me, isn't sufficient anymore. I felt like I went to the doctor the year before because I trust doctors to explain risks to me and tell me what I should do next to advise me the best way forward so that I can make informed decisions. If I'm not told that density presents a risk to my health, 
and the masking effect that it has on the mammograms, it leaves me unable to make decisions. So you think every time dense breasts are picked up on a mammogram, the patient should be told? Absolutely. The days of viewing women as not being capable of handling information and making decisions should be long past. That feels so 1950s to me. Do you feel like you could have suffered less if things had been different? Well, my treatment probably would have been the same. In that respect, there's not a difference. But the earlier that you catch cancer, the Mm. less likely it is to recur. I think it's past time that we inform women of risks that involve their health and give them information so that they can make decisions. That to me is step one. Step two is we need to fund screening that works for the people who need it. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to run out and grab a mammogram followed by an MRI or an ultrasound. It's select few people that need it, that maybe it's that 25% that have the extremely dense breasts. Maybe something needs to be done for the dense breasts. But sitting here, knowing this information for decades and not making any progress, to me, is really disappointing. People's lives are at risk. Dr. Sandy Mink is a trained GP who now works in medical education and communications became involved with breast density is that in June last year I had my routine mammogram and ultrasound which I've always had in the private system because I have very complex breasts, have a family history of breast cancer. They found some microcalcification, biopsy showed atypical lobular hyperplasia. There were some decisions to be made. I knew that I had extremely dense breasts although I don't even think at that time I fully realised the significance and impact of that. I saw a breast surgeon to discuss this atypical lobular hyperplasia and we decided to do an MRI, which I had to self-fund because I didn't meet the Medicare criteria. And there was an abnormality on the MRI, so I had an excision biopsy which showed lobular carcinoma in situ. That's not considered cancer in the same way DCIS is, but increases your risk up to 10 times. So I'm now almost six weeks post-risk reducing mastectomy. Biggest relief, best decision I've ever made. And so, of course, then I did some further investigation and research and, and have read Breast Screen Australia's position statement on breast density. The thing that impacted me most was the focus on anxiety and undue psychological harm if women were notified of their breast density. As a consumer, I'm outraged. As a health professional, I'm dumbfounded. I just don't understand it. Should women be getting a notification themselves directly from the screening agent? Absolutely, 100%. Was being a GP helpful in the sense that you were aware before all of this started that this was something you needed to be keeping an eye on? Look, I'm going to be honest and say I really don't think I understood the impact. And coincidentally, I saw my GP today about an unrelated issue and I said, I'm getting interviewed for a podcast today about breast density notification. And he looked at me blankly 
That's my next question. Are GPs aware enough of this? No, absolutely not. So the RACGP have what's known as the Red Book, which are the guidelines for preventative activities in general practice. And if you look at the section on the early detection of breast cancer, is breast density mentioned? Nope. After talking to Sandy and Christy, I decided it was time to speak to someone from Breast Screen Australia about the 2020 position statement. There's nobody better to speak to than Professor Vivian Milch, who is the medical advisor to the Commonwealth Department of Health and Aged Care on screening policy. Has anything changed since the 2020 position statement? No. no. So the 2020 position statement was based on an evidence review which the Department of Health contracted, which was done in 2018, and then it was developed based on that evidence. Is there any chance of a review again coming up? So one of the things that was really important in that position statement is that it was very clear that it was based on the evidence at the time. Now, we're aware of evidence that is evolving. The plan is for this year for there be to be an updated evidence review to take place. Now that hasn't yet been decided but that's what the considerations are. So is there a timeline in mind for that? Not yet. What do you think would it do for the cost effectiveness of breast screen programs if an extra test was added in for women with dense breasts? We always have to remember that this is a population screening program. One of the things we have to obviously consider, as you said, is cost effectiveness. Another one is equity of access, and that's both in terms of cost and in terms of accessibility geographically and availability of imaging. And we need a clear pathway for knowing what to do if high breast density is found. So there were both those two issues that were identified in that position statement, which is why the current policy is that breast density is not routinely reported or notified to women participating in the program. And we just generally need to improve disease outcomes. All of those things are important for the community and for the individuals taking part. But we have to always consider... Uh, the harms as well. And this is very important in a population-based screening program. We have to reduce the false positives. We also have to reduce false negatives because we don't want to be reassuring people who actually do have cancer, but we didn't find it. But we also have to consider overdiagnosis. And overdiagnosis is one of those parts of screening that always need to be considered. The FDA's just updated its requirements for mammogram providers now to notify women if they have dense breasts. Do you think a similar thing should happen here? So we will keep abreast of the evidence. We're aware of the growing momentum of advocacy and of also some women's desire to know their breast density. So we're very aware of that. We're also aware that various breast screen services in different states have either a different policy or are trialling or piloting. Breast Screen will keep abreast of the evidence as it's developing. And I think that was a very clear message in the position statement in 2020 that we would work with researchers to understand the developing evidence base. So the takeaways are it's all about the evidence and that there's going to be a review probably in the next year or so. And that we'll be doing an evidence review and that evidence informs policy. We may or may not have a policy change. We'll be looking at the evidence. 
One of the projects that Breast Screen Australia and the Cancer Council Australia are working with is ROSA, the Roadmap for Optimising Screening in Australia. ROSA's leading breast cancer expert is Professor Bruce Mann, a breast surgeon and researcher at the University of Melbourne. About probably 10 years ago, came to the conclusion that in order to optimise outcomes for breast cancer, we need two things. We need better treatments, and an awful lot of work is going on to that. But we also need to find the cancers early because if someone develops breast cancer, particularly in younger women, if someone developed a breast cancer or a pre-cancer, there is a very good chance it's going to become clinically significant. And there's huge amounts of evidence that the earliest stage cancers do better, less treatments needed, less deaths occur. If you need less treatment, you have less side effects. It has less impact on your life. It costs less, but that isn't the main thing. But the survival is better. Screening has worked well. Screening was introduced in, in Australia in early 90s, right. quite a long time ago. It is. At the time, the screening technology was rudimentary, two-dimensional mammography, better than nothing. Since then, the screening technologies advanced dramatically and knowledge about breast cancer risk has advanced dramatically. And we're still doing two-dimensional mammography as screening and sort of nothing's moved. Why hasn't it moved? And I think it's we have a program that is recognised as saving lots of lives, reducing lots of morbidity. You don't want to put that at risk. Would it be at risk? I don't think so. One has to be careful. You can't denigrate the system to say, we've got to burn the house down and rebuild it. No, we don't. We've got to keep living in the house, but we've got to update it. The final thing that really strikes me because I'm a breast surgeon, I see lots of patients, is the young women, the women who are less than 50 who come in with stage three or sometimes mm -hmm. stage four, but mainly stage two and stage three cancer. They've done the right thing. They have not been invited for mammographic screening because we don't start inviting from 50. They've trusted the system. They've got this stage three cancer. Had they been told, get your risk assessed when you're 35, say, bound to be at high risk, started screening at 40 or whenever using an appropriate modality, they may well have had stage one cancer, five-year survival, 100%. So yeah. there's the reasons behind Rosa. We need an agreed, feasible, acceptable approach to risk assessment. And that should happen at a time well before the current start of screening. There's no point in waiting till women are 50 and then finding someone say, gee, you've got high risk. You should start screening at 40. Most of the risks are early. So... It may be that sometime in their 30s, women should have their risk assessed and then sort of put in the bank and said, the group who don't need to start screening till 50, or I'm in the group who need to start now. Now, how would that risk assessment be done? That's part of the roadmap. The options, there's family history, maybe reproductive history. There'd be a second one that seems almost certain to be part of it is mammographic density. So those with high density should start sooner. So 
once the mammogram's done, is a woman automatically told if she has high density? No, it's not. And that is an area of active discussion. You could say one thing is look at that and say, this is outrageous. Everyone needs to know. And at one level, that's true. The issue is what to do with the information, because currently, often the information is you have high density. We advise you see your doctor. When I talk to GP friends of mine, they say, so what am I meant to do with this? And Mm. I say, well, it's difficult because what one can do is recommend maybe more frequent mammography or 3D mammography outside of the program or an ultrasound in addition to a mammogram, all of which have significant financial implications, a slight increased sensitivity in that Mm -hmm. they will find some things, but particularly an ultrasound has very low specificity, which means that a large proportion of the additional findings are false alarms, generating anxiety, biopsies, consuming resources. So then the question is, well, who should have either an MRI or contrast-enhanced mammography? Bruce references the DENSE trial, that Dutch research we talked about earlier that showed supplemental screening for women with extremely dense breasts found a significant number of extra cancers. That says there is a group of women for whom an MR screening would be better. What's the problem? (laughs) MRs are expensive. We do not have the capacity to offer that to everyone. But undoubtedly, there is a group for whom some form of contrast imaging, perhaps MR, perhaps contrast mammo, perhaps combination of both, is needed. And what's the end game in ROSA would be to me like it's the appropriate introduction of tailored screening. So the models would be breast screen assesses the risk, identifies a small group who need contrast imaging and have arrangements in the breast centres where the screening for those women is managed and the data goes back to breast screen. A rejig of breast screens so that they also have magnets or contrast machine, that's a really big change and it goes back to what can be introduced. How do you remodel the plane while you're still flying? Do you think there will be a shifting of thought? I think there's pressure from the consumers in particular and the profession somewhat. We do have to go by the evidence. But when the last randomized trial recruited its patient in 86, that's ancient history. Do you have to wait until it's shown that they have reduced mortality? Breast cancer treatment is fantastic. With our modern treatment, we can keep people alive for a long time. If you say, let's wait for a mortality difference, you're actually stacking the deck against a change. I completely agree we need to go with the evidence, but what is sufficient evidence to warrant a change is not as clear-cut as it might sound. An issue we have is as women and the community becomes more informed, 
there is a danger that what is offered by breast screen will be seen as insufficient. And then what would happen, what could happen is some of those who know that and can afford it would opt out. And what we don't want in this country is a two-tier system where those who know and can get the best and everyone else gets what's offered to them. That's, again, what Rosa is, what we are working to avoid. The important thing there comes back to what I said right at the start. Treating very early breast cancer is is highly effective and it's cheap. And the impact of that treatment on the economy, like the person is not out of action for very long, that scenario compared to a stage three or four diagnosis is actually saving a lot of money. The finances are important, but it needs to be in a holistic way. It's not just the cost of screening because downstream there will be financial implications to the health system and to the overall economy. So we have a highly successful national breast screening program that is in danger of looking out of date and insufficient for a significant proportion of Australian women. It's going to be interesting to watch how this story develops this year as Breast Screen Australia considers updating its position statement on breast density. My thanks go to Professors Wendy Ingman, Bruce Mann and Vivian Milch, and especially to Sandy Mink and Christy Sullivan for trusting us with their breast cancer journeys. My name's Kate Swanell and you've been listening to The Tea Room. This has been the final episode of The Tea Room, but rest assured we have something even better for you. We've rebranded to the Medical Republic podcast and we've got a great new format. I'm still here as your main host and it's still the same Medical Republic team producing it, but there are three changes you might notice. Firstly, if you just subscribe to The Tea Room via a podcast app, you won't get any more episodes. So maybe jump in now and subscribe to our new production, The Medical Republic podcast. Secondly, we've got a great new format, more guests each episode, offering different perspectives and knowledge. Today's episode is a great example of what to look forward to. And finally, we're moving to fortnightly episodes instead of weekly. So if you subscribe to the Medical Republic newsletters, you'll get a podcast email every second Thursday now instead of each week. Freeze up your inbox. And the email newsletter will obviously have an image of the Medical Republic podcast instead of our much-loved slurping teacup. The Medical Republic podcast, bringing you the latest clinical research, new hacks for running your clinic, and investigation into stories that really matter to GPs. I'll see you there.